what we're going to look at today, we're going to have a couple of weeks of, um, I guess we could call them standalone sermons, not part of a series as such. Just a couple of sermons that I felt like the Holy Spirit has kind of led me to preach. Um, I, got, I just felt the Lord kind of dropped them into my mind about uh, six, or eight, six or so weeks ago. And I um, was excited about, about um, preaching these two. Um, what we're going to be looking at today is, um, is handling disappointment. Disappointment with God, or even maybe calling it flourishing through disappointment. And I want us to... There's, there's birds angry out there. So um, I want to help us to look at that stuff, felt God, put that on my heart. And then, interestingly, I was preaching at another church, uh, I think two weeks ago um, today. And um, I thought God uh, stirred me to preach this, the message that I kind of formed in my mind there. And so it's kind of the second time I'm preaching it. Um, but I feel, this is the right, I feel it's right to preach this as a church. Um, to look at how, how we handle as believers disappointment. And how we, how, we, how we don't get defeated and shaped by it. But somehow through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit actually flourish through it. Um, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph as we do that today in the book of Genesis. Um, so, uh, and the backdrop biblically is some pretty big promises. Um, if, maybe if we could start with the, the, the first uh, slide on the PowerPoint. Look at some, just a couple of big promises from the Bible. Isaiah 49 verse 23. See those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. That phrase there, be put to shame, can also be translated disappointed. This is a promise of God. It's God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. Those who wait for me shall not be disappointed. And then we've got the prophet again speaking. Uh, um, and he says, The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced or put to shame or disappointed. I've set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. It seems that the Bible teaches that as you trust in the Lord, you won't be put to shame, you won't be disappointed. And yet anyone who's been a Christian more than uh, half an hour will have realised that there are most definitely disappointments on the way. And how do we handle that? Uh, how do we flourish through that? So we're going to look at the story um, of Genesis. We're going to start um, by looking at um, Genesis um, chapter 37. If you have a Bible with you, turn to it. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen anyway, because we've got a, f- a few different passages from this story. We're going to look at the whole story of Joseph today and uh, trust that God will help us in that and really equip you. And also, if you're here, you don't believe in Jesus. Or you're not quite sure what you believe. Maybe you just found yourself here and you're trying to figure out how does this stuff work. Then I think it's really helpful for you to understand that um, what God promises uh, in terms of us following him and knowing him is that we won't be disappointed and we won't be put to shame. And yet what also happens as a Christian is that we face situations that most certainly uh, do, lead, do lead to disappointment and can put us to shame. So something of a conundrum, how does that work? Well... Stay in and we'll see how it goes. So Genesis 37. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. In those days it was, a, it was a very common. Polygamy was a very common thing. Then. Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. This is a telltale. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob. Okay, so Israel is Joseph's dad. Loved Joseph more than any of other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours. You know, you've seen the play or heard about it. Um, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. 
and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Don't you love him? And uh, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon and 11 stars. He had 11 brothers. And the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, living and active. Thank you for all of our uh, testimonies in this room, those of us that know you, that we can say that we, something of the word of God has changed us and brought life where, there, where, where we were in danger of going rotten. Your, life has, your word has brought life to us. Where we, were cloud, where we were cloudy and confused, your word has brought clarity. We thank you it pierces right to the heart. And I pray and ask you, Father, that you would use your word to do that today in our time together. Amen. So here's the backdrop. Um, We've got a difficult family situation. Any of you that have been in a situation where you were either favoured above your siblings or one of your siblings was favoured above you, you will know the pain of this. You will know. This won't just be theory to you. You would have seen it. It's difficult. It's even difficult to be favoured, I think. It's probably harder not to be, but I'd imagine it's equally difficult if you are, because you're aware of it, aware of the tension between siblings. That's what we've got going on here. The Bible does not hide the warts, uh, if if you know what I mean by that phrase. The Bible is a warts and all book. It shows the reality of life. It doesn't skim over or pretend there was no difficulties. There most certainly were and there most certainly are. And so we've got a situation of tension, of difficulty, which is clear from the text. But Joseph has received some promises from God. One of the ways God speaks is through dreams. Now, that's not, I'm not saying all dreams are from God, but one of the ways God does speak is through dreams. And, jo- and so God has made these promises, if you like, to Joseph. He's a man who has received something from God. God's spoken to him. God's put something in his heart that in some way he will rule and reign. That's what's on him. It's part of his destiny is to in some way be exalted in some way, to carry some kind of influence even over his brothers who were older than him, which in that day would have been very, very unusual. He's got promises. And that's what the life of faith is. It's when God has given you promises and you spend your life believing him and seeing them one by one fulfilled. That's how it works. The life of faith is not a, just a life of rules. Do this, don't do that. It's about believing God. But we'll, we'll focus on that um, next week. But the situation is this. We've got a tense backdrop, but Joseph very, very hopeful because God has spoken to him. The future looks bright. Okay. <laughs> then his father sends him on an errand. His brothers are looking after the flocks and his, his father says to him, Will you go and find your brothers, make sure they're okay. And so this is what happens. Joseph goes on his way and after a journey of a few days, he sees his brothers, in the, his brothers in the distance. And let's pick it up in verse 18. They, his brothers, saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. You see, kill the dreamer and kill the dream. 
That's the plan there. Let's do him in. Let's get rid of him. So we've got this disappointment number one, betrayal. Any of you that have ever faced this will know the pain of it when those who are supposed to love you stab you in the back. Those who are supposed to be around you in support separate and leave way, not just leave way too many gaps so you're vulnerable, but actually turn against you and get you into serious trouble, serious pain, serious vulnerability. Betrayal. This is a man whom God is with. This is a man whom God has spoken to. This is a man whom God has a destiny for and he gets betrayed by his own brothers, those who are supposed to love him. This is not according to the script. If he said to Joseph, Joseph, how do you imagine your dreams are going to get worked out? I'm sure you would have had a plan. Well, now God's spoken about me being exalted and having influence and authority and even being over my brothers. I'm sure that what will happen is this. Da, 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 da. And it's so common to do that as a believer. God speaks to you about something he's going to do and then without realising, you fill in the gaps. So God said that and I'm here now. That therefore must mean and you fill in the next 20 years. And God's looking on thinking, mm, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's a, it's a big lesson to learn. We pretty much always get the root wrong. Though once God has spoken about destiny, we will certainly get there. So this is the situation that we've got. In the end, they don't kill him. One of the brothers has some compassion and prevails against the other and says, no, don't do that, but they do sell him. They sell their own brother for 20 pieces of silver to some travelling Ishmaelites who are passing through on their way to Egypt. Do you know someone else was betrayed? Jesus was betrayed for 10 pieces more. The Son of God, Jesus, he knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to feel turned against by one of his closest. There are 12 very disciples in a close circle. One of them turned against him stitched him up, ratted on him for 30 pieces of silver. See, the story of Joseph is really, a, it's a, it really points us to Jesus. It's really what it is. You've got to see beyond every story in the Bible to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And you're going to see it as it unfolds. You think, man, what are these parallels here? It's all deliberate. God constantly through the Old Testament has given us warning, showing us what it's going to be like for the Saviour, the ultimate one with the dreams, the ultimate one with the promises, the ultimate one whom God is with. It gives us an amazing pattern for it. So betrayal. He gets taken to Egypt and sold as a slave. Let's pick it up in chapter 39, shall we? Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Stop. The Lord was with Joseph? Yes, the Lord was with Joseph. Even though it had gone so badly, yes, the Lord was with Joseph. And I want to just declare it and shout it and trumpet it and blow it. Listen, the Lord was with him, even though. And what you mustn't do is get this thing in your head is that, oh, God's with me because it's going really well. And then I get betrayed. So obviously, you know, obviously he doesn't love me anymore or whatever. The Lord was with him. No, it's not even an explanation. The Bible writer feels no need to say, pause. I know you guys at this point are going to be thinking, is the Lord really with him? Because it doesn't do that. Why? Well, because actually all through the Bible, constantly you find those who know God go through all kinds of stuff and God is with them in it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That is them surely one of the most precious promises we can have. He's with us all the way. So the Lord is with him. He became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. 
and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he's brought us among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice, And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. There's a lot going on there. A whole lot going on there. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt so wronged so disappointed, so let down, that you've actually felt justified in, in sinning. That you think, well, do you know what? Because that's happened to me, what is there to stop me from doing this? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He's been betrayed by his own brothers, sold into slavery. Then he's got a boss who's basically, it's not just an honour that he's given him all this responsibility. He's got a boss who's given him so much that the only choice he has to make now is, what am I going to eat today? That's what he says there. All he has to do now is pick up the menu in the morning and say, hmm, I'm going to have that for breakfast, that for lunch, that for dinner. And I bet Joseph would have been in charge of getting it to him. He's literally given Joseph everything. So Joseph has been given all this responsibility. I mean, would you have thought to yourself, do you know what? He might as well give him his wife. Was it just me that would think that way? Do you understand what I'm saying? You think, well, you want me to do everything for you. You want me to take all your responsibility. You want me to carry all your weight. And, you know, and, and, and my brothers have betrayed me and wronged me. And now this woman wants to lie with me. Well, do you know what? Blow it. What the heck? I think for many, many people, that goes on, that happens. There's a sense in which you think to yourself, well, this and that's happened to me. So obviously God doesn't care that much. So what's the big deal in sinning? What's the big deal in doing this? What does Joseph do? Look at the tenderness of his heart. He doesn't even say, his primary thought is what? I don't want to sin against God. And notice it, he saw it coming. She was being seductive and tricky. And what he did says he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't lie with her, but he wouldn't even go and be in the same room as her wife. He spotted it, he saw it, he didn't want to go near. What is this? This is the tender heart, the tender conscience of a godly man. This is, this is a man who, though he's been sinned against, wronged and disappointed and now being taken advantage of, he's still saying, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. It's incredible. It's incredible. You say, wow, look at what God's put in this guy. Look at his heart. He does not allow his disappointments to create a justification, a framework of justification for why he's allowed to sin. But he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Sin is sin. It's massive. 
This is the work of grace. This is what God's grace does. And so then the, the, the second big disappointment comes, false accusation. Anyone ever had things said about them that aren't true? Oh, that's a killer. It's an absolute, well, you want to just justify and da-da-da-da, yeah? And not only that, it's being, he's being accused for doing what's right. That's even worse. You do what's right, and as a result of doing what's right, you're getting slammed. You're getting hit. You're getting wronged. You're getting accused of stuff. This, and God is with him. This is God's man. This is, this is the Lord's journey for him. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Sentenced on trumped-up charges. Just like Jesus. Did nothing wrong. Healed the sick, cared for the outcast, provided for the hungry, set free the tormented. And the result? Let's conspire to kill him. Let's accuse him of this, that and the other. Let's bring false witnesses in, even under stories can't tie up. We'll just, let's, let's do that. Man. It's the plan of God. It's, it's God's plan in salvation that Jesus would go through that because God needed to get Jesus sentenced and Jesus knew it was the will of God for him to be sentenced to death so that he might die as a sinner, as a criminal, as if he were a criminal. That even on the cross that he might become, in a sense, the ultimate criminal, he might become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God as we're in him. It's amazing. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. Jesus knows. Jesus understands. You've been falsely accused? Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. He understands it fully. So, what happens next? As soon as his master heard the words, his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Whoa! Are you serious now? Yeah, the Lord was with Joseph. Showed him steadfast love, gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. Everyone does this with Joseph. Have you noticed this? It's like, there's a guy, he'll, he'll do everything, that guy. So now he's in charge of everything in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, I want you to see this. There's disappointment, bitter disappointment, trial, false accusation, imprisonment, and yet it's paralleled with success. You see that? It's really important, I want you to get that. Because what you mustn't do is throw out the baby with the bathwater and start saying, oh, God doesn't really want us to prosper or be successful. No, he actually does. He actually really does. I'm not saying it's God's plan for you to be rich, though it may be. But you can't, there's no way people who say that about Christians, blanket can do that biblically. It's really not, it's not in there, okay? Definitely his plan for some to be. But for those who are, God says, just don't put your hope in riches. But it's absolutely God's plans that you prosper, that you succeed, that you are fruitful, that actually the things you touch, that there's a fruitfulness about it, that, that, that you go from strength to strength, that you bear much fruit. Yes, 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 yes. Even in the midst of betrayal, uh, false accusation and imprisonment, even in the midst of that, it's God's plans for you that there's a prosperity about your life. People can see you and say, hey, wow, look, it hasn't gone well for you like it hasn't gone well for me, but there's something different about you. God's with you. People might not phrase it like that, but it's valid to phrase it like it'd be, that's what's going on. I heard an amazing story today, an incredible story. I was preaching at a church in Kent, and a guy got up, he said, my daughter, she lives in Canterbury, and she was praying whether she should stay in Canterbury, and she just had an image in her mind of a few streets in Canterbury, and felt God say, I've got a destiny for you there. 
She just, there were streets she walked past every day on her way to school. The next day, she walks past those streets, and this woman hangs out the window and says, Hey, you, come over here. She goes over, and the woman says, uh, I've seen you walking up and down here the last few years. There's something about you. There's something about you. Um, would you like to come in? <laughs> she goes in, and uh, they start conversing and have this amazing time, and the woman's name's Lydia. And this young lady says, hey, there's a, there's a Lydia in the Bible. And he goes to her, and it's amazing, because Lydia in the Bible prevailed upon Paul to come into her house and have a church in her house. So the woman says, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, being, maybe I'm being called, right? And she's like, yeah, or maybe, or maybe you've been called here. She's like, yeah. And then and just, the thing just develops into this amazing thing. She's a, basically a Romany gypsy woman, and uh, she's got a massive extended family. And God's just started an amazing work through this young lady and this extended family here. You think... Wow, what is that? Well, just God's with her. She prayed to seek God. Well, God, what's next? God opened it up. God does this stuff. God does this stuff. He has all freedom at any moment to just do stuff like that. We need to believe him for it and be looking, expecting. God, lead me, guide me, show me what's next and expect him to speak and do amazing and wonderful things. So Joseph's in prison and God's still with him. Okay, and then something happens. A couple of guys get sentenced to prison and they have these dreams and they're perplexed by these dreams and Joseph interprets them correctly and for one of them his dream means he's going to be executed for the other one it means he's going to be restored to his position serving the wine to Pharaoh and the dream the interpretations come true and then the guy whose dream was that he would be restored Joseph said look just one thing um, when you when you get out can you remember me God says sure how could I forget you and then we are um, told that he then forgot Joseph two years so what would it be like for Joseph you're Joseph you've seen the guy go sure I remember you you wait a day 48 hours a week then you realise after about two weeks it's not happening it's totally forgotten been forgotten just he's been betrayed and he's been falsely accused now he's just plain overlooked rot rot in rot in your cell it's like Jesus Totally forsaken. Not just forgotten, forsaken at the cross. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not just forsaken and, and rejected by people, even forsaken in that sense by the Father, as the Father pours out his wrath on the Son. Why would he do that? He did that so that he wouldn't have to pour his wrath out on us for our sins. That's your saviour. That's, that's the plan of God. Let's, that, that is the plan the Father, Son, and the Spirit came up with to save us. That Jesus would be forsaken and would become sin so that we could be freed from that debt. Amen. Hallelujah. It's the wonder of the gospel. It's the absolute wonder of the gospel. So, Joseph, meanwhile, it seems, just remains utterly godly in it all. Well, can we just let that sit there for a few minutes? He just remains godly. He hasn't really done anything really, really impressive. He's just kept walking with God and resisted sin and used his gifts of dream interpretation. That's what he's done. And God's got him there. And the whole time, what God is doing is what? God is giving him the dream and then he's preparing his character so when the dream is fulfilled, he can do well with it. God's preparing him, shaping him, getting the knocking the arrogance off, the self-sufficiency off, the this, the that and the other off, 
get him to a place where he just utterly knows only God can do it. And then do you know what happens? In one day, in one day, Joseph goes from being a prisoner to being the second in command in the whole of Egypt. In one day. The Pharaoh has a dream, can't, exp- can't understand it, he's perplexed. Suddenly the wine bearer goes, oh yeah, there was some bloke in prison. He was amazing at interpreting me. <laughs> and so Pharaoh's like, well, get him out then. So we're told that they, Joseph has a shave, you know, to get him all smart for, for Pharaoh. Probably give him one of those funny square beards, you know, like Egyptians <laughs> used to have, you know. Get him in there. Joseph comes in and the Pharaoh tells him a dream and Joseph explains it, interprets it. Yeah, there's going to be seven years of loads of plenty and then seven years of famine. So what you've got to do, you've got over the next seven years, store up 20% of all your food in massive huge vats. And then when the famine comes, we can distribute it, we can get through and do well. And you just really need someone really wise, Pharaoh, who can just take care of that for you. <laughs> and Pharaoh's like, you're the guy. He's like, okay. And he basically says, uh, from now on, you know, you represent me in every way. You've got the whole rule of Egypt. You know, I'm the only one above you. In a day. So I want you to get, you've got to hear this. In a day, God can do that. Just turn the whole thing around. Bang. Yeah? Bang. What, it's done now. Time. God's worked out his purposes. Now, right, now elevate you. See, that's how it goes. You, you mustn't. In, when it comes to God promising, you mustn't get into what we're, we've got some faith challenges as a family at the moment. And our big quote is, not how but who. Not how but who. Okay? Because you never know how, but you do know who. So you get into how, you'll get it wrong. Well that, can, well, that should take, you know, if I say to you, okay, we've got, we've got a prisoner there and number two in Egypt, tell me, tell me how and how long. We're talking 20 years, we've got a career plan tracked out, you know? That, no, you don't, you, who? God, he just does it. He just does it. Now's the time, you see? And he raises him up. Suddenly the man's got this incredible authority. Suddenly these dreams become, start looking like reality. It's what God does. It's how God works. It's glorious. And it's very, very beautiful. And if we go to chapter 42. When Jacob, who lived out in the wilderness, heard there was a grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He said, behold, I've heard there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared the harm that might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. There he is. The dream is fulfilled. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Just imagine yourself now, you're Joseph, and, and you can, you're seeing ten, the, the, the brothers, who, these are the ones who betrayed him, bowing down. They haven't recognised him. They don't, it's a square beard. They haven't recognised him. <laughs> King of dreams, right? So just imagine now, you're Joseph. Well, you're seeing the fulfilment of the dream in front of your eyes. You just, what? You think, God, you are faithful. It's incredible. How did you do this? And God's like, don't worry about how. Worry about who. You go, wow. You are able and you are faithful. You have said it and you will do it. Which is absolutely how God works. And then we get this situation where it's very convoluted, but what happens basically in the end, after a few different trips and stuff, Joseph can contain himself no longer. Tells all, the, all his courtiers and assistants to leave the room. They all leave the room, leave him with just his brothers, and he just bursts out crying. 
And they're like, man, what's that? Why is that Egyptian guy who really seems to hate us suddenly crying? And he says, I'm Joseph, your brother. And they are horrified. They are horrified. But he just goes and just cries all over them, cuddles them. And, and he says he cried so loud, even that all the courtiers outside were like, man, listen to Joseph. He's going for it. Just, Wah. he loves his brothers. He hasn't got hard. He hasn't got hard. He's still soft. Wow. After betrayal, false accusation, and being totally forgotten and overlooked, he hasn't got hard. That's the grace of God. That's the faithfulness of God. It's beautiful. And look how the story ends. Chapter 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, so Jacob died, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they thought maybe he's only being nice to us because dad's around. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, uh, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please, for, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Um, so they're totally lying. They're just petrified. Um, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we're your servants. They're just panicking. They're freaking out. They think it's all over. Joseph said to them, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't this incredible? It's just the gospel, guys. It's just the gospel. You think there's Jesus who you killed by your sin. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think to myself, you know, you see it and you think, oh man. And you think, I wonder if one day he'll just kind of just have enough of me. <laughs> or just decide, you know what? <laughs> I saved you, but you're really not that impressive after all. <laughs> I'm not going to just do you, you know, or whatever, or just forsake you. And what does he do? Oh, he just comforts us and speaks kindly to us, doesn't he? Day after day. Do you know that? This is incredible, guys. Day after day, his mercies are new to us. His compassions never fail. Day after day, he makes us more promises. And, you know, it's amazing. I mean, sometimes my head is so bowed low with ridiculous thoughts and things. And, you know, if someone comes and says, I've got a prophecy for you, I think, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be like, basically, do you know what? Time out. (laughs) You know, you've really not done so well. And, you know, I had high hopes for your stuff. But, you know what? I got it wrong. Um, we just call it a day. It's part ways. You know? That's why, you know, sometimes I kind of, when I'm thinking cranky, I sort of imagine that. And then, and then they say, I've got a word for you. And it's like, oh, what is it? You know? And it's like, and they just say things that just affirm what is promised in the past and build it up even more for the future, add more colour, splash, excitement. You think, what is this? It's the grace of God. It's the gospel. He just overflows. It's like, it's almost, it's like, it's like we've done something good. It's like we've done something good. It's like, man, I've done something. It's like, why are you so nice to me? You ever think, why are you so nice to me? It's the perfect love of God. He just overflows with perfect love that casts out all fear and gets us to a place where we're just confident in his presence and can bask and bathe in his presence. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. 
And the pattern for our lives is similar to Joseph's, and if you follow Jesus, it's similar to Jesus. There, is, there, is, there are trials, and there are seasons, and you're like, you feel dry, or you, you feel freaked out, man. How, how, what's the way through here? Or you feel confused, or you feel forgotten, or you feel betrayed, or you feel accused. accused. And in it all, you think, what's going on? And, and God is over it with his faithfulness. And he's like, don't panic. Don't, it's all on course. Don't do nothing silly. Don't start sinning. Don't start flipping out. Don't go hard. Just stay tender. Stay before me. What I've promised, I'll do. Yeah? What I've promised, I will do. This is the beautiful gospel. Hold the line. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Stay tender. Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like, and it's all about him. I want to go back to one passage we started with in Isaiah. I didn't tell you, but it was, it was about Isaiah, but it's also about Jesus. It was a messianic passage. Listen to this, Isaiah 50. This is, this is the, uh, Isaiah speaking, but he's speaking as it becomes, as he goes through it, it's, it's apparent. He's not just talking about himself. He's prophesying. This is what it was like for Jesus when he was going through what he went through. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may now have to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is Jesus' experience, what it was like for him. The Lord God opened my ear, I was not rebellious, I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. I know I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, you're going through a tough one, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, you create your own light during times of darkness, Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you've kindled. This is what you have from my hand. You'll lie down in torment. And so often you find, well not, I don't know about, about often, but sometimes you find when believers go through a tough season, they start making their own little torches because they can't see the way through. And it just seems like it's one of those seasons where you're just left, God's with you, but you don't really know the way through. And it's tempting to create your own little guidance and your own way through and just jolly it up and make sure everything, make everything's fine and create your own thing. And it just leads to torment. What is, what is the advice? What's the counsel from Jesus when that happens? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. That is what God calls you to do. Trust and rely. He is faithful. He will do it. He is omnipotent. He has all power. Nothing can stop him.